Welcome to the Relax and Go podcast, episode 11, Predictors of Success, part two. Welcome to the Relax and Go podcast. In our previous episode, we broke down numbers six through 10 on the predictors of success. Now, when I say predictors of success, we're talking about predictors of success in athletics. We're talking about predictors of success in academics. We're talking predictors of success in the business world. However you want to measure success, whether it be athletic, academic, business, relationship, whatever you want to do with the word success, research has showed these top 10 things uh, in order, they are kind of in order, will help you achieve that success. So in the last episode, we broke down numbers six through 10. And let me give you just a quick recap of those in case it's been a while since you listened to the last episode, episode 10. Number 10, we have experience. As you gain experience and you learn more, you apply those lessons to your goals and your vision. So experience is valuable. Number nine, balance. We want a good balance. We don't want to be overly obsessed with our work. We don't want to be overly obsessed with our play. We want to have a good, healthy balance. Number eight, very similar to number 10, experience. This one's education. The more you learn, the more you can apply those lessons. We know that people with more degrees or more training can be a little bit more successful. They can see problems differently. They have expose themselves to different ideas, and that may be a benefit when the going gets tough. Number seven, self-awareness. Do they know about themselves? An example of self-awareness I like to use is the kid who knows there's a test coming. Do they know how to study for that test? Or does the athlete know what they need to do in the days leading up to the game or the event? to be successful. Do they know they need to get a good night's sleep? And not just the night before, we're talking the nights before. Do they know about diet and nutrition? Do they know for test day what the best way to study? Do they start studying the night before? Do they start studying you know, three nights before? Do they understand that they're a morning worker versus a night owl? These are things that fall under self-awareness. And number six, intelligence. While intelligence can be a very good marker, or predictor of success. We all know those very smart people who fall short because it's not enough. And as you've seen here, and I've highlighted, it's not even in the top five. And these are in order. So what I would like to do now is break down numbers five, four, and three on our way to episode 12 and the top two predictors of success. But today we're going to start with number five a healthy support system. A healthy support system means you have people who are invested in your success. They want to see you be successful. Now, it doesn't mean they've made financial commitments to you, though. Maybe they have. It doesn't mean that they are looking for some kind of kickback from your success. We're talking about people who genuinely want you to be successful. So the biggest and most common example of this is going to be your family. I hope that it is the case that your family is your biggest uh, group of supporters. And 
that is your support system. If you're a athlete who's you know high school aged, early high school age, you don't have a car, you don't have access to transportation, and probably don't have a food budget that you can just do whatever you want with. You need people who take you to practice, pick you up from practice, give you a good meal, keep a roof over your head, help pay for whatever fees the team might be calling for. And I hope that you have a support system. And remember, if you don't, you don't have to have all 10 of these to be successful. If you have a few of these, I would say if you have four of these, regardless of which ones they are, you're probably on a good path to being successful. But you have to remember, you have people who are invested in you and want you to do well and want you to be successful. And I tell my students in my classroom all the time that they will probably never have a larger group of people who are committed to their improvement and success than high school and you know, maybe a little bit of middle school. But think about it. How many people are committed to giving you an opportunity to get better, giving you an opportunity to expand your mindset and, you know, get better at academics? And even if you don't have great grades, you're not going away to Harvard or Yale or whatever uppity school that people might be trying to get into. You're learning skills that will go with you, whether it's to become a plumber's apprentice or it is to go away and go pre-med. These skills, these social skills, these academic skills, they're learned a lot in high school. So you have coaches, you have teachers. Even if the teacher isn't your favorite, that teacher is probably laying down a curriculum and doing something, even if it's not necessarily straight from the textbook, doing something that will help you down the road. Like I said, you will probably never have a better more organized, more focused support system than in high school. You know, maybe if you go on to be a you know, highly sought after recruit in the D1 level where you know, the program has tutors and the food catering system and you have athlete dorms and the coach and team is very invested in you. Okay, so maybe that would be another time in life where you have a fairly good support system or maybe you have become successful and you've moved on to some kind of professional rank where part of your budget is to have this support system. But, you know, in absence of all of that, high school is probably the most supportive free system you probably will have ever seen in your entire life. So use that support system. Get the teachers to help you. They will do it. You know, I've in my 22 years of teaching, I haven't seen very many teachers who dislike kids. If a kid genuinely wants help and will do what the teacher asks them to do and not be a pain to that teacher, that's kind of important sometimes, then that teacher would probably move heaven and earth for that student and will write the recommendation letters and will, you know, call on their behalf and, you know, help them get the test scores necessary to help them reach their goals. And, you know, these things do matter to the students and the teachers will do it. So a support system is Predictor of success number five. Number four, and this is something that's elusive to a lot of people, long-term planning, or maybe we could call it by another name, delayed gratification. The people that are successful wholeheartedly 
understand and embrace the concept that the work they do today may not be rewarded today. The work they do today may not be rewarded tomorrow or next week or next month or dare I say it, maybe not even next year. But they embrace it. They understand that they're laying foundations, that they're doing the work. They are building a staircase up to their goals and they have to build it one step at a time and make sure the frame and the structure is strong enough to build the next step on the way to the top of the ladder or the top of the mountain or the top of wherever it is they're going. They understand and they are patient. I see a lot of this in my classes, especially when I teach ninth graders who have not, in many cases, have not embraced the idea that what they do in their ninth grade year will affect them, will influence them their senior year. They think, oh, I'll get serious when I'm a junior. Well, you know, if your GPA took a nosedive in your freshman year because you hadn't quite clicked yet, then you might be sitting there your senior year ineligible for certain scholarships because you were 0.25 GPA points away due to the two or three C's you got in your ninth grade year. I've seen it happen. So long-term planning, the ability to plan out goals, have a goal that's two years away and reverse engineer that goal, setting up smarter goals, go back to the podcast on setting goals if that acronym is lost on you, but setting these specific, measurable, obtainable, et cetera, et cetera, goals and having a progression, understanding that the work they do today may not be rewarded today. It may be rewarded down the road and they are doing the work, knowing the payoff is not going to be immediate. So they have long-term planning. They have a vision of where they want to be in two years, four years, six years, eight years. And believe me, and ask any adult who's been through high school and any adult who's survived in the adult world for a while, they'll tell you, your plans will change. Where you think you are or where you think you're going to be is very subject to change as you get older. You'll go to college, if that's your choice, and sitting in a weed-out class for your desired major and all of a sudden go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't want to be in this class. And you need that class for the major and you go to the registrar, you drop the withdrawal form and you go find yourself another major. Speaking from experience, it was Calculus 3 and the idea that I needed that to go to the medical school I thought I wanted to go to and it just... It hit me that this was not the path I wanted to be on anymore. So I found another major and went to college and did other things, and I have zero regrets about any of that. So long-term planning, the ability to see where you want to be and doing step-by-step the work and the progression to get that goal. That may not be next week, it may not be next month, it may not be next year but you're willing to take those steps and build that progression and build on your successes, learn from your setbacks, and do that long-term planning. Number three, and I'm not sure I could win an argument against somebody who wanted this to be number one, 
I I can see this being number one. I wholeheartedly would embrace this being number one. Now, I understand why it's number three, and you will too in the next podcast when we do parts one and two, but this one is absolutely critical. It's called EIQ, Emotional Intelligence. Emotional intelligence is the ability, and there's a couple components of it here. Emotional intelligence is the ability to A, understand your own emotions, B, control and or regulate those emotions, and C, understand them in other people. So emotional intelligence is the ability to get really, really bad news, really upsetting, really distracting news, and nothing that's you can change, nothing that you can, you know, modify, but news that takes you out of your mindset. This is the ability to get back into the emotional state you need to be in. I see this a lot where kids will have tests after lunch and they'll go to lunch and there was some drama at lunch. There was something that happened and I don't, I don't even pretend to understand what made this drama. You know, I don't understand, you know, who's sitting with who and who looked at who and who broke up with who. I mean, those things, I couldn't keep track of that if I tried at the high school level. But so some kid gets news they didn't like at lunch and they come into my room and they just can't focus. They're so worked up with that emotional reaction, that emotional news that, that by the time they consider it to be, quote, life-changing, I think as we all mature, we realize that was not the case. But to them, it's real. And somebody with a low EIQ gets that news and they can't, they can't regulate it. They can't control it. They can't focus it. They're wrecked. If we have a test that day, that's probably going to be their worst performance. If they have a game that night, their head's not in the game. So emotional intelligence is the ability to regulate, understand, and identify emotions. Sometimes yours, sometimes other people. People with good EIQ can take a look at another person, look at their body language, look at their face, hear their tone of voice, and understand they might be having a bad day. I see my teammates having a rough day. I'm going to go say something that I'm pretty sure will help get their mood moving in the right direction because we need them for this game. It can also be the other side that maybe it's too positive. Maybe they got news at lunch that their lifelong secret crush likes them back and they're floating on a cloud all day, unable to control that very, very happy and, you know, I'm happy for them <laughs> information they got at lunch, but that's not helping them in the game. That's not helping them focus. That's not helping them be a good teammate or survive the test. They're having a hard time regulating these emotions, whether they're positive or negative is kind of irrelevant. They can't regulate them or they can't process them. They don't understand why they feel a certain way. They can't get a handle on it. You know, we've all had the conversations, maybe we were in them or we've had them with other people where we said, well, what are you feeling? And, oh, I don't know. I don't, I can't explain how I feel. Well, if that's how you have many of your conversations in the direction that they're going, I would wager you're not scoring very well on an EIQ test. I would say that you're struggling 
with the ability to regulate and understand your emotions. And if you can't get your own, then you're probably not doing very well with other people's either. So emotional intelligence is kind of lumps into this idea of be where you are, control it, you know, keep the lows from going too low, regulate the, the elevated moods to where they're not getting so frantic and positive that you can't focus, you got a, a crazy attack at the giggles, you know. So this goes into game day. It also goes after the game. If it was a win, great. Enjoy it, but don't get overconfident. Don't let these wildly positive emotions get, the, get ahead of you. You still have more games to go. And if it's a loss, even if it's a tough loss and one that maybe shouldn't have happened, you got to walk away from it. You got to take the lesson and move on and improve. So people with high emotional intelligence, they don't let the, the highs of their emotional swings get too crazy, nor do they let the lows go too deep. They can regulate, they can understand, and they can identify emotions sometimes in themselves and or other people. And you know this from your teammates. You can see who's having a good day, having a bad day. You know, this is sometimes regulated by music. Some people, they know that on game day, they get super, super amped. So they listen to classical, relaxing music. And then we have other teammates who who can't get too excited. They want to have that adrenaline rush. So they're over there rocking out to their favorite, you know, fast beat, you know, enter Sandman or something. And if you're unfamiliar with that, then uh, go ahead and Google Enter Sandman by Metallica. And, you know, if that doesn't get your heart pumping, then, you know, good luck finding a song that does. But that's, that's kind of what we're talking about is regulating, controlling, and identifying emotions. So having a high emotional intelligence pairs very well with those who are long-term planners. They understand, and they may have bad days. They may, why do I want to practice today? You know, the big race isn't for four months. I'll take a day off. But they understand they need to work today to benefit down the road. And when they're having those those down days, they they just don't feel good. They just don't want to lace up their shoes and go get their miles in or, you know, not stare at the black line at the bottom of the pool for another two hours twice a day, five days a week. They just don't feel like it. They can regulate those swings. They click it into part of their long-term plan. And having that support system of family and friends and teammates who can help them, you know, get through those rough patches and can be very, very valuable. Okay, so those are the predictors of success, numbers three, four, and five. And going backwards, you know, in terms of uh, importance and in terms of uh, overall strength and predictive value, we had number 10, experience, number nine, balance. Eight, education. Seven, self-awareness. Six, intelligence. New today, we had number five, a healthy support system. Number four, the ability to long-term plan, or also known as delayed gratification. Working today, knowing that you're not going to be necessarily rewarded today, tomorrow, maybe not even next week. It'll be down the road. You're earning those accolades. You're earning that those positive outcomes down the road. And number three, emotional intelligence. Can you control your emotions, especially when the opponent starts saying things that you don't like or you 
show up on test day and question number one, you, you know you got wrong, it looked like it was in a foreign language, don't even know what it's asking. Can you keep that under control as you move on to question two? And hopefully you made a good guess on question one. But can you control those emotions and, and not freak out and not get all depressive in the middle of a performance, whether it be test or on the athletic field? Okay, so keep an ear open uh, for episode 12, the top 10 predictors of success, part three. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you know when episode 12, parts one and two, the number one and number two, top 10 predictors of success is posted. Until we meet again, just relax and go.